The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Medtronic. Medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life-transforming health tech. From AI to robotics and beyond, we're reinventing what's possible, and we're just getting started. Visit Medtronic.com to learn more. LinkedIn presents. No one grows up saying, I want to do the same thing everyone else is doing. And yet, there's a comfort to surrounding yourself with people who agree with you or who are doing the same thing that you're doing. So while there's sometimes embedded wisdom in the crowd, mistaking the comfort of collective evidence that what you're doing is going to lead to better results is the social default's big lie. Good morning, friends. It's a new day. It's a new week. It's a new chance for you to learn and to connect. I'm excited for you. I really am. Me, I'm your host, Michael Kavnat, and this is the next Big Idea Daily. Today, I'm going to share some big ideas about thinking. How good are you at thinking? We all think, of course, all the time, but few of us spend much time thinking about how we think and how we could think better. Luckily, Shane Parrish has written a new book called Clear Thinking, Turning Ordinary Moments into Extraordinary Results. Shane is an entrepreneur and author who writes the popular Brain Food newsletter and hosts the Knowledge Project podcast. Here he is to share some of his key insights. Hi, I'm Shane Parrish. The greatest aid to judgment is starting from a good position. You don't need to be smarter than others to outperform them if you can outposition them. Anyone looks like a genius when they're in a good position, and even the smartest person looks like an idiot when they're in a bad one. We often think about the moment of decision and making the best decision, but we forget about what position we are in when the moment arises. My kids taught me this lesson when one of them flunked a test, handed it to me, and said, I did my best. What he meant was he did his best from 10 to 11 when he sat down to write the test, What he didn't understand is that doing your best is often about the position you put yourself in before you get to the moment that you're performing. Putting yourself in a good position for the test means sleeping well, eating a healthy breakfast, and, of course, studying in the days leading up to the test. He hadn't done any of that. And by not doing the things in his control, he put himself in a bad position. It's like he chose to play life on hard mode. And we do the same thing. We put ourselves in poor positions when we don't exercise, when we don't sleep, when we don't invest in our relationship with our partners, when we don't prepare for the meeting, when we take too big of a mortgage out, hoping things will stay the same, and countless other ways. Over the long term, the average person who consistently puts themselves in a good position beats the genius who finds themselves in a poor position. What looks like talent is often good positioning, and the best way to put yourself in a good position is with good preparation. A good position allows you to think clearly rather than be forced by circumstances into a decision. One reason the best in the world make consistently good decisions is they rarely find themselves forced into a decision by circumstance. Turn desired behavior into default behavior. 
Eventually, everyone loses the battle with willpower. Sometimes it's really hard to do the things we want to do. So we can use safeguards to change our behavior. One type of safeguard that I use is automatic rules. We've been taught our whole life to follow rules, but we've never been taught how to use rules to our advantage. Let's say you want to lose weight and you've decided to skip desserts for a while. Every time you're faced with a situation where you have to say no to dessert, you're relying on your willpower. Your friends will convince you it's a celebration to join them just this once, or you can start tomorrow. The social pressure is real, but there's a way around this. Your best self can create automatic rules for these situations before you face them. Your rule can be, I don't eat dessert. And then when your friends say, let's have dessert, let's celebrate, all you have to say is, my rule is, I don't eat dessert. And they'll suddenly apply a lot less pressure to you, if any pressure at all. You can also use rules to do more of the things you want to do. Let's say you want to stay healthy, but going to the gym three to four times a week is a grind. One of the reasons it's a grind is that you start to negotiate with yourself. That little voice in your head starts to say, hey, you're pretty tired today. Why don't we skip the gym and we'll do extra tomorrow? And you say, yeah, let's do extra tomorrow. But of course, when tomorrow comes around and you don't do extra, in fact, that little voice is back saying, you know what, we have a lot to do today. You'll get more done if you skip the gym. And so it goes. The way around this negotiation with yourself is to work out every day. The conversation in your head goes from, should I work out today, to when and how do I fit this in? And that might mean that you reduce the duration of your workout, but you still go. It might mean you show up and you just do squats. It might mean you go for a big walk, but you can't make it to the gym. It doesn't matter. Consistency is key, and you've got a rule, you can follow it. I've shared this bit of wisdom with several friends who've used it to dramatically change their health. It's a simple principle, simply applied, that creates life-changing results. Another way to change your behavior is by creating an intentional environment where your desired behavior becomes your default behavior. Joining groups whose default behaviors are your desired behavior is an effective way to create an intentional environment. If you want to read more, join a book club. If you want to run more, join a running club. Your chosen environment, rather than your willpower alone, will help nudge you toward the best choices. If you do what everyone else does, you will get the same results everyone else gets. Fear holds us back from taking risks and reaching our potential. The social rewards for going with the crowd are felt long before the benefits of going against it are gained. One measure of a person is the degree to which they'll do the right thing when it goes against popular belief. However, it's easy to overestimate our willingness to diverge from the crowd and underestimate our biological instinct to fit in. No one grows up saying, I want to do the same thing everyone else is doing. And yet, there's a comfort to surrounding yourself with people who agree with you or who are doing the same thing that you're doing. So while there's sometimes embedded wisdom in the crowd, mistaking the comfort of collective evidence that what you're doing is going to lead to better results is the social default's big lie. The only way to outperform if you're doing undifferentiated work is to work harder than everyone else. Imagine a team of ditch diggers working with their hands. A slight variation in the amount of soil moved per hour is barely perceptible. Your work is virtually indistinguishable from that of the person next to you. The only way to move more dirt is to dig for longer. 
Within this paradigm, the ditch digger who takes a week off to experiment and invent the shovel seems crazy. Not only do they look like a fool for taking a risk, but their cumulative production falls behind for every day that they're not digging. Only when the shovel comes along do others see its advantage. Success requires shamelessness. So too does failure. Doing something different means you might underperform, but it also means you might change the game entirely. Outcome over ego. This is one of my favorite principles. Our desire to feel right overpowers our desire to be right. The ego default urges us to feel right at the expense of being right. Few things feel better than being right, so much so that we will unconsciously rearrange the world into arbitrary hierarchies to maintain our beliefs and feel better about ourselves. My first memory of this dates back to my days of working in a grocery store at age 16. One particular customer would always treat the staff poorly. He'd drive up in his fancy car, he'd park it illegally outside, and he'd run in to get something. When there was a line, he'd rudely comment and raise his voice, telling everyone to hurry up. We called him Mr. Rolex. One day, when he was waiting in my line, he told me to hurry the F up, because this Rolex doesn't pay for itself. I'll leave my reply out, but let's just say that I didn't have a job after. It was worth it, though, because the experience made me realize that some people organize their unconscious hierarchy by money and status. They put themselves above you because they have fancy toys. Those were the ways that Mr. Rolex had of keeping this score to always come out on top. I remember walking home that night thinking that, well, I might not have a job. At least I wasn't like him. And at that moment, what I did was I subtly rearranged the world in such a way that I came out on top. I had unconsciously organized the world in a way where I could be above him and feel better about myself. Both of us reverted to the ego default that day. Most people go through their life assuming they're right, and the people who don't see things their way are wrong. We mistake how we want the world to be with how it actually is. The subject doesn't matter. We're right about politics. We're right about other people. We're right about our memories. You name it, we're right about it. We mistake how we want the world to work for how it actually works. Of course, we can't be right about everything all the time. Everyone makes mistakes or misremembers some things. But we still want to feel right all the time and ideally get other people to reinforce that feeling. Hence, we channel inordinate amounts of energy to proving to others or ourselves that we're right. When this happens, we're less concerned with outcomes and more concerned with protecting our ego. The way to move this around is to switch your feelings to the outcome. I encapsulate this with the saying, outcome over ego. It's a healthy reminder that you need to focus on the outcome and not how you feel. It might not be your fault, but it's your responsibility. Self-accountability means taking responsibility for your abilities, your inabilities, and your actions. If you can't do that, you'll never move forward. You might not have someone in your life who holds you accountable, but it doesn't matter. You can hold yourself accountable. Others might not expect more from you, but you can expect more from yourself. No one else need reward or punish you into it. External rewards are nice, but they're optional. You don't need them to do your best. And your honest judgments about yourself are more important than anyone else's. And when you screw up, you should be strong enough to look in the mirror and say, this was my fault. I need to do better. 
While you may not have asked for it, you're in charge of your own life and a larger part of your outcomes than you might think. People who lack self-accountability tend to run on autopilot. This is the exact opposite of commanding your own life. These people constantly succumb to external pressure, seeking rewards, avoiding punishment, and measuring themselves against other people's scoreboards. They're followers, not leaders. They don't take responsibility for the mistakes. Instead, they always try to blame other people, circumstances, or bad luck. Nothing is ever their fault. Well, I have news for you. It might not be your fault, but it's your responsibility. There's always something you can do in the moment today to better your position tomorrow. You might not be able to solve problems, but your next action will make the situation better or worse. There's always an action you can control, however tiny, that helps you achieve progress towards your destination. Thank you, Shane. It's interesting how Shane puts his emphasis on positioning. In order to think clearly, he suggests we create contexts, systems that support clear thinking and good decision making. If you want to position yourself for success, think about signing up for the next Big Idea Club. It will provide you with tools you can use to boost your thinking, tools like audio and video masterclasses from leading experts in leadership, creativity, and relationships, tools like a curated selection of the best new nonfiction sent right to your door. Have a look at nextbigideaclub.com and join the conversation. Come on back tomorrow when we'll hear from Anna Lemke, an addiction specialist from Stanford who will share her insights on my drug of choice, dopamine. It's that tasty little neurochemical we've all gotten a little hooked on. I'm Michael Kavnet. See you tomorrow.